Good morning. It's lovely to be back with you on this drich. Is that the right word? <laughs> bit hot, but bit drich. We don't know what rain is, do we? <laughs> Our theme for today is challenging prayer. And I thought it would be a good idea to call us to worship by giving you a scripture about prayer. So I've chosen 1 Thessalonians 5 and verses 16 to 18. These verses are very short. It says this, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We're going to do our opening prayer in two parts today. And the first part is me leading us in corporate prayer and inviting you to say the Lord's Prayer with me at the end of that prayer. And I'll explain the second part once we come to it. So let's come to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in a week when we've had the extremes of a horrific train crash in Spain, bombings in Pakistan and a massacre only yesterday in Egypt, all costing many lives and leaving many, many more people injured, on the one hand and on the other hand, the rejoicing over the safe births of Prince George. We take time this morning as a community of your people to just take time to stand aside from all that's been in our news and simply rejoice and renew our trust in you, our God, and give thanks that we are each each one of us known to you as your children through what your Son, who now sits with you at your right hand in heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords, did for us on the cross of Calvary. May we each be enabled to lay down our own individual cares in your presence now as we sit here in the quietness. And may we be able to direct our thoughts to you. If this morning we're weary, may we sense your care. If we're anxious, may we sense your peace. If anyone is lonely, May they sense the warmth of being included in this community of your people. And if by chance we're joyful, may we sense you as the true source of that joy, the giver of all good things. Lord, please be to each one of us what we need in this time when we focus on worshipping you, the Most High God, the one who is the shelter in whom we dwell, whose shadow gives us rest, and under whose wings we find refuge. Thank you that more important than anything else is the fact that you are our Heavenly Father, and because that is so, we now pray together the familiar prayer which your Son taught his very first disciples, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let's go on to the second part of our opening prayer today.
I know that you normally have the choir lead you in a responsive psalm at this point each week, but today I'd like us to pray a responsive prayer together. And if you look at your order of service, you'll find it written out there. It's a prayer called Holding Fast to Hope by a man called Ian Foston. And it actually comes from the words of Psalm 85.10, which is a lovely verse. So if you've managed to find the place in your order of service, let's speak these first two lines out together, the bold ones. I'll read the lines that are in light print. Let's speak together. Love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will embrace. When the news is bleak and the headlines prophesy impending doom, help me to hold fast to your words of hope. When the bad, the powerful, and the mean appear to hold the upper hand, help me to hold fast to your words of hope. When the pessimist and the fearful undermine initiative and trust, help me to hold fast to your words of hope. Love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will embrace. Amen. I'd like to invite Barbara to come and read to us from the scripture. Thank you, Barbara. Our first reading this morning is from Psalm 138. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes with your right hand, and you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. And our second reading is from the New Testament in Luke chapter 11. One day... Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, 
and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Amen. My husband's going to help me by showing some slides up on the screen. If you're not managing to see them, you might like to move your chair around a bit. If you, can you see? Can you see, Paul? Or am I right in the way of everyone seeing? You okay? That's good. Thanks, Lindsay. It's my privilege to be preaching this morning on the subject of challenging prayer. That's a privilege, particularly because I've been talking about the Lord's Prayer, but it's also a responsibility, a responsibility to not be purporting to you to be doing something that I'm not doing. So Holy Spirit, keep me. Keep me from saying something about prayer that I'm not living out in my life. The title, Challenging Player, comes from the lectionary reading and the roots set of materials that are set out for us over this summer period. And I thought about that title, Challenging Prayer. It seems to me that that talked of there being two types of prayer, challenging prayer and not so challenging prayer. And I actually don't think that that's the case. I think all prayer is challenging. It's challenging because, firstly... It involves us in an activity, an activity to get over our own inertia, to respond to the God who's first loved us. And the second thing I thought about prayer being challenging was it goes against the grain of our own self-interest and involves a surrender, a surrender to God's control. We surrender to God in prayer because we leave the outcome of that prayer, to the God whom we recognize as our Heavenly Father, the one in whom we place our trust, and the one who knows full well what we need. I can't come to Hillhead without quoting an old hymn. (laughs) It's sort of almost become something that I do each time I'm here. So today's old hymn is, or the chorus of it is, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Why? Why do we surrender all? And that's because we're, as followers of Christ, our whole lives are focused on being his disciples and following him into his Father's purposes for the reconciliation of all things in this world to himself. Focused on seeking God's kingdom, his rule, and his reign 
to come into every situation we see around us in our broken world. And my goodness, in the last week, is it not broken? As if we needed any more evidence. We just have to look at our news. So this morning, we're looking at the gospel text that Barbara read to us from Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. And in this text, we're taking a journey with Luke as he goes through his Gospels. And at this point, one of the disciples, well, all of the disciples, have just heard Jesus praying to his heavenly Father. And one of them recognizes that they need Jesus to help them, like we need Jesus to help us to know how to pray. And the Gospel text splits into three very distinct sections. There's a simple pattern of prayer, followed by a parable about prayer, and followed by an explanation of the outcome of prayer that follows this simple pattern. So I've managed to get some alliteration going today. I don't usually do this, but I've got my three Ps today. The simple pattern of prayer shows us that our prayer needs to be pointed. It needs to have a direction. The parable shows us that we need to be persistent or bold, as one translation would have it, bold in our prayer, but we need to understand the context of that persistence, and I'll tease that out in a few minutes. And finally, Luke explains to us that the result of using this pattern of prayer and being bold in how we pray is powerful, because he says the result is that God sends his Holy Spirit. So I've got these three sections this morning, and just so that you know where I'm going, pointed takes much longer than the other two put together. So when I come to the end of the first section, you're not just a third of the way through listening to me. So let's turn to the first section. And this is the Lord's Prayer in the Lucan version. It might not look very familiar to you because it's not the one from Matthew which is in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the one that's called the liturgical version of the Lord's Prayer that we all know very well. This is a foreshortened version. It looks a little unfamiliar because it's, kind of un- it's not got lots of words around about it. But as I looked into the commentators on this passage of Scripture, at least one of them was suggesting that this was possibly nearer to the words that Jesus actually said. So here it is on the screen right now. And it consists of an address to God and just five petitions, two about God and three about the people praying. Although the address to God in this prayer is just Father and not our Father as it is in the Sermon of the Mount, the later mention of the word we indicates that this is not an individual prayer. I use the Lord's Prayer individually, and I'm sure you do too, but actually, essentially, it's a a community prayer, something we say together. And Jesus sets out by telling his disciples to address Almighty God as Father. And what he's saying here, and here you have to do a bit of a, a mindset change. Remember that this gospel was written, I think it might be as many as 60 years after Calvary. So you kind of have to do a mindset This is not a news report of what happened yesterday. So what Luke is helping us to understand that through Jesus himself, we already have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And the whole prayer hangs on the fact that we can call Abba, Father. Our Heavenly Father is our Heavenly Daddy. Then Jesus says to them, pray, hallowed be your name. 
Another chorus, much more modern, says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. This hallowing or revering by calling holy of God's name has two aspects to it. First of all, it takes our collective eyes off from ourselves and our immediate situation and puts them onto God, the one to whom all our praise is due. There are many examples of this happening in scripture, but one I just happened to trip over the other day when I was in my own quiet time was Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2 saying, there's no one holy like the Lord. There's no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. But the second thing to notice about this, and it sits behind what I've just said about hallowed be thy name, is it's not just a present tense thing, it's a future thing. We're declaring the future coming of God's kingdom. We're declaring we're looking forward with hope and expectancy to the day when Paul says in Philippians, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God, as we understand him, is this mysterious trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing in these four words, therefore, that what we are doing is worshipping God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and at the same time looking forward to Jesus' return. You see, apparently in Lucan theology, the coming of the kingdom of God, redemption, and Jesus' return all meant the same thing. So it makes sense for Luke then to write the next thing you say, and the prayer is, your kingdom come. We almost don't need to say where to God about his kingdom coming. What we're saying there is, Father, bring your kingdom rule to pass in every place. Establish your sovereignty and hasten the day of the consummation of all things. Then we have the three petitions that are for ourselves. Firstly, for physical and spiritual sustenance. Secondly, for emotional peace. And lastly, for direction of our steps to keep us from error to keep us from anything that would threaten our spiritual walk. And I'm going to go through these three right now. Give us each day our daily bread. Now that can be used to say to God, give me your rima word for today, the word from scripture that actually speaks right into our situation. And that's a good thing. Daily bread, the devotional readings that are produced For us, some of us, I'm sure, will be using them, are well named. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, note the present tense, every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And yes, it's good to take on spiritual manna every day to sustain us in our faith. But according to most of the commentators, the context here is actually physical bread. And what we're saying there to our Heavenly Father is... Even the bread that we eat, the air that we breathe, come from your hand, from your provision. And perhaps it is good for us to take time here to consider, give us each day our daily bread. We live in relative plenty, but what a powerful prayer this must be in a place, what trust it must take in a place where every day is marked by hunger. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Wow, this one's a hard one. 
We want to avail ourselves of the forgiveness of sins, our own sins, that we can access from our heavenly dad. But boy, sometimes we find the second part, and I include myself in this fully, we find the second part so hard. Sometimes we can't get over what someone has done to us. And as I thought of my own life, and I put this on myself, I remembered for myself the parable of the unmerciful servant who had been forgiven a huge debt but couldn't turn around and forgive someone else who owed him an infinitely lesser amount. If you read that parable in Matthew's Gospel, I actually find the wording very hard to interpret, very hard to take on board, but it says that the master, on finding the unmerciful servant, had done this to another who had owed him much less. He turned him over to the jailers. The NIV actually goes on and says to be tortured until he paid back all he owed. And the only way I could interpret that myself was to understand that actually unforgiveness in our lives is like giving ourselves emotional torture. We actually put ourselves, hold ourselves in that. And I know it's hard to talk about. My whole mind latched into something two weeks ago in the Andrew Marr show on a Sunday morning. Lindsay and I were watching it over breakfast. He was talking to David Miliband and he said to him, are you still hurt over what happened with your brother when you lost the Labour leadership election? And David said something which I'm sure he had heard from someone else before, and maybe you've heard it before, but it struck me afresh about this forgiveness issue. He said this, you can't live life looking in the rear view mirror. I thought that was a very good image. Perpetually going back to a situation that holds you, holds you also in the painful place of experience and bitterness. Forgiveness brings emotional release and peace And while it can take a long time to get there, it can be a very difficult journey. At least the the rear view mirror doesn't change, but the picture you see in it has less pain as you're able to forgive. The second part of that prayer about forgiveness, about forgiving each other so that we can access the forgiveness from our Heavenly Father is very, very important in the Christian community. As I'm sure you know, we need to be quick to forgive each other. Otherwise, we hold the Holy Spirit back from the flow within our community. And finally, lead us not into temptation. This is a harder one to interpret. Is what is meant here temptation or trial or our own error? On reading the commentator's There was mixed understanding as to what this was, but there was certainly one thing that people said or commentators said this prayer was, and they said this line was the climax of the whole of the Lord's Prayer because it's an appeal to God who controls all of life for deliverance and protection from anything that would threaten our confession or faith or our being able to access God's provision for our physical, spiritual, and emotional needs. Indeed, anything that might threaten our very relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. I'm now on to the last two sections, persistent and powerful. We'll start with the parable, which is all about persistence in prayer. 
This one's found at verses 5 to 9. And a quick recap of what Jesus is saying in this story that he's asking us to think about is this. He says, suppose a friend goes to another friend at midnight, raps on the door and says, I've got a visitor. He's just come, haven't got any bread. Please get up and give me some of your bread. The one inside says, nope, children are all tucked up in bread, up in bed. If I get up to give you some bread, I'll disturb them. Nope, can't do it. But Jesus says, although the ones inside won't get up, because the one asking is a friend, he will get up because of the boldness of the one asking and give him as much bread as he needs. What's this boldness or persistence bit all about? And I've actually come to the conclusion to actually understand this parable, you have to understand the context in which Luke was writing. And this is the context, apparently. Bread making was a community activity. So the one coming and rapping on the door and asking for bread actually knew which friend in the community had bread left over. To have a visitor arrive in this culture that Luke is talking about and not have bread to give him was a great matter of shame. But it wasn't just a shame on the person on whom he'd arrived. It was a shame on the whole community. So even though there might be only one room in the house, in the cartoon, and only one door which was locked and barred, and if the fellow had to get up and trample all over his children because they would be lying out in this one room sleeping and wake them all up, even though that was the case, he would get up and do it because he wouldn't want to bring shame on the community. Luke's point is this, if even a friend would do that in response to the boldness and persistence in asking, how much more will your heavenly father, who doesn't need such prodding to remember his responsibility to the community he loves, respond to your prayerful requests? We need boldness and persistence in our prayers, but it's not that we have a father who's reluctant to answer. I believe the boldness and persistence is to be our faith that he will answer. He will provide when we ask. Then we come to the final section, which describes the result of our prayer in this manner. It's powerful. This section covers the last few verses that Barbara read to us from the gospel. And they're very familiar to us because we've sung the words many times. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you will find. What I'm concerned to draw out at this point is what is in the very last verse. And it's what it is that the Father gives us in response to our prayer in this manner. Matthew says, if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Here in Luke, what the father gives is something different. He says, how much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How do we interpret this? And again, I've got to get you to make a mind shift because this Luke here, who is talking in this gospel, also wrote the book of Acts. And if you remember, the book of Acts begins with Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit, which spread the gospel out from Jerusalem through Judea and Samaria out to the ends of the earth where it's still spreading today. Who is this Holy Spirit? 
And I wondered if I could share with you one person's view of what the Holy Spirit is and how powerful this gift that the Father gives us in response to our prayer is. So if you will, I'd like you to sit back and watch the screen because some pictures are going to roll up in response to this prayer. It was written by someone called Karen Campbell and it was written for Pentecost this year called Creative Sustaining Spirit of God by Karen Campbell. Everywhere I see the awesome work of your hand, the beauty of your infinite creativity. You made the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea. You created darkness and light, years and seasons, an extravagance of plants and trees, huge beasts, tiny organisms, all that is needed for the health of the earth you made. Out of your goodness, all of this was made by your spirit. All life is sustained and renewed by your spirit. You created us in your image. You inspire us to paint and to sculpt, to create music, film, dance, poetry. From you come science, technology and medical progress, an overabundance of all that we need to thrive And as I rejoice in the beauty of this awesome world and marvel at the infinite creativity of human endeavor, remind me, it is out of your goodness that we are made and by your spirit our life is sustained and renewed. Amen. I was recently reading a biography by Dietrich Bonhoeffer famous German theologian from the last century who was killed by the Nazis at the end of the Second World War. Apparently, uh, far from being a passive thing to do, he said this about prayer. He said, it is the most powerful activity. I believe its power is for the very reason that in response to prayer, the Father does what Luke tells us in this passage. He sends the Holy Spirit. I've heard the Holy Spirit described as nothing more and nothing less than God to us in receivable form. And something in my heart went when I was preparing this sermon and wrote down these words. God sends himself in response to our prayer. Is that not amazing? As I conclude this morning's service, where have we, sermon, where have I been in this subject of challenging prayer? Maybe the challenge has been to remind ourselves that our prayers need to be pointed. We need to have them in, pointed in the right direction, not downwards into our unbelief, but upwards to our Heavenly Father, to whom all things are possible. We also need to be persistent and bold in our belief that he's faithful and that he answers prayer, but surrendered to his will in knowing that the outcome will be what is best for the situation for which we pray. 
And finally, we need to believe that in praying we will receive something incredibly powerful, the Holy Spirit, the one who sustains life, our helper, our comforter, our enabler, the one who Jesus said would be sent to his disciples from his Father, and the one who is the Father's gift to each one of us as his son's disciples of today. Amen. Thank you. And now we bring to God our prayers for others and for ourselves. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we have heard this morning in our reading the request of the disciple, Lord, teach us to pray. And we too would wish to pray in a manner which reflects your example in what we call today the Lord's Prayer. We would seek to hallow your name, to advance your kingdom, to trust your provision for daily bread, for the forgiveness of our sins as we forgive others, and a plea that we may not be led into temptation. Father God, prayer is something of a a mystery. We do not know exactly how it works or what effects it may have on ourselves or others for whom we pray. But at the heart of prayer is a trust that you will hear our petitions and respond within your greater purpose for the life of each and every one of us and in the life of the world. Some have asked, what is the purpose of prayer? And one response has been, prayer is the means by which we praise God for who he is, ask him for forgiveness, and thank him for everything he has given us. Perhaps prayer might be described in these terms. It is not to get what we want, but what God wants. It's not to convince God to change his mind, but for him to change our minds. It is not to have all our will done in heaven, but for God to have his will done here on earth. And so we would come in that spirit this morning, seeking God's will for us, seeking that he might change our minds, and thus, in our own small way, seeking to promote God's will here on earth. As we come together this morning in worship and in prayer, as we too shut out the outer doors, we would do so not to isolate or to insulate ourselves from that world, but rather to heighten our consciousness of the world and its needs. And thus in our prayers we would reflect now on that busy world in all its joys and sorrows, triumphs and failures, challenges and opportunities, hopes and fears on the international, local and personal stage. We have rejoiced this week at the news of the birth of the royal baby Prince George, and as we looked at that tiny face and hands peeping out of the blankets, we have noted that this baby is just like any other baby, and these parents are just like any other new parents, marvelling at the gift of this infant life. But of course, this baby is in many important respects not like any other baby, in that his future will to a large extent be determined by the role he may play in the monarchy of this country. No one knows the future, and many changes will happen in his lifetime. So all we can do, as we would do indeed for every child, is wish for a happy childhood surrounded by the love of others and the opportunity to develop into the full grace of mature adulthood. But in this week, we have heard not only of joyous events, but also of tragedy as occurred in the rail crash in northwest Spain on Wednesday, when many people lost their lives and many more were injured. 
We hold before you now, dear God, all those whose relatives' lives were suddenly cut short, all who mourn the loss of loved ones, all the casualties who now face a long period of recovery, and all who will support those who have been involved in this disaster. Lord God, we realise that life is a mixture of joy and sadness, of excitement and tedium, of times of challenge and also of routine. At different times in our lives, we face trials and opportunities, and we will bring all those experiences to you in prayer. In the Western world, we live in a relatively stable context, but in many parts of the world, life can be full of violent upheaval, grinding poverty, and a perpetual struggle just simply to survive. And we would think especially of the Middle East at this time, where in Egypt, political protest and violence have once again erupted, and of Syria, where the long-running conflict and civil war continue without much sign of resolution. Lord, we would pray for a restoration of peace with justice in these turbulent lands. So as we meet together to bring our prayers, we would seek to be ever more conscious of the world outside our immediate doors and far beyond our nearer horizon. And if our hearts are lifted up to you in prayer and praise, we would seek to turn these devotions into deeds of kindness, political action and generosity as we reach out to others. Finally, having expressed our concerns for others, we'd make a plea for our own needs. Some here today will have come with heavy hearts and anxious concerns about health or family relations or employment or finance. We bring all these burdens before you now, seeking your comfort, your consolation, your encouragement and guidance, and above all, your forgiveness for our sins. Grant us your peace, dear Lord, in this hour of worship in the sanctuary, and as we go forth from here into the world to live out our lives in company with the Master whom we seek to serve. Amen. Thank you, Ken. As we come to the benediction this morning, just wanted to explain, benediction just means good word. So here's today's good word. Bless us, Lord, with clarity for today and vision for tomorrow, with courage to pick up and humility to lay down, with energy to start out and grace to keep going. May your kingdom come in us and in your world. Amen. Amen.